0: Thank you, Jack. Hasn't it been cool to watch the evolution of this worship band over the past several months? Yeah, it really has. Thank you, Jack. Uh, Jack and Tiffany, the fearless leaders here, they do a lot of work during the week, I know. Uh, I see them talking and texting and planning and putting everything together, and and we appreciate it. Look, it shows on Sunday. Huh? Thank you. Yes, sir. All right, well, you know we've been in Corinthians for the past several, I don't know, months maybe, and we're going to continue in the book of Corinthians, but today we're going to take a little detour and find ourselves in Joshua. Um, while I was in Brazil, I studied this and applied it to one of the places where we were ministering the Word uh, in a Quilombola church, by the way, not in, a, not in a village where we tell stories, but in a more developed Quilombola church, <coughs> and... Um, that was must have been, must have been, must have been, must have been Sunday night, I guess it was. And when I got done, some of the team members said, Pastor, why don't you preach that Sunday in grace? I said, no, 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 we're in Corinthians. I said, we we, we got to keep on pushing through Corinthians. So Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday we travel, and then I, on an airport floor in Miami in a hurricane, I get a fever and have fever until Friday night, Saturday morning. And those words of the team saying, Pastor, why don't you preach that? I said, that makes a whole lot of sense. I think I will. So it is good every now and then to take a little break. I mean, 1 Corinthians has been pretty intense, has it not? And it's going to continue to be. We'll pick up in chapter 5, which is a very intense chapter next week. But today let's uh, take a little break and look at this passage in Joshua and see what the Lord would say to us. Joshua chapter number 14. Begin reading in chapter number 6. Here we go. Then the sons of Judah drew near to Joshua and Gilgal. And Caleb, the son of Jephunneh the Kenizzite, said to him, You know the word which Yahweh spoke to Moses, the man of God, concerning you and me in Kadesh Barnea. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. And I brought word back to him as it was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people melt with fear, but I followed the Lord my God fully. So Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot has trodden will be an inheritance to you and to your children forever, because you have followed the Lord my God fully. Now behold... The Lord has let me live just as He spoke these 45 years from the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses when Israel walked in the wilderness. And now behold, I'm 85 years old today. And I'm still as strong today as I was in the day Moses sent me. As my strength was then, so my strength is now for war and for going out and coming in. Now then, give me this hill country... I like the old King James. It says, now give me this mountain. Does it not? Give me this mountain about which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day that the Anakim were there with great fortified cities. Perhaps the Lord will be with me and I will drive them out as the Lord has spoken. So Joshua blessed him and gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, for an inheritance. Therefore... Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh the Kenizzite, until this day because he followed the Lord God of Israel fully. Now the name of Hebron was formerly Kiriath Arba, for Arba was the greatest man among the Anakim. Then the land had rest from war. I can remember growing up on a farm. In the days prior to Nintendo or any type of computer screen, or video games and from the time I would get home from school until the very last hour I was somewhere on that farm doing something and I can still remember and I can hear in the back of my mind my mama walking out on the front porch and saying son get home and then I can remember growing up as a teenager and I got my first vehicle Never forget my first vehicle. It was a 1975 Chevy Love. That bayette was, it was Bumblebee Yellow. Me and Heather would get in that thing on Saturday night and we'd go to the picture show. Boy, I wish I, Daddy used to say, son, is there something wrong with that vehicle? I said, no, sir. Why? He said, because it looks like it's taking two of y'all to steer because she's sitting mighty close. So I said, well, you know it doesn't have power steering, Daddy. So. Yeah, Heather had to sit pretty close. But anyway, I wish I had that old vehicle back. (laughs) But I I can remember even then. Sometimes I'd be out a little later than I should have been. One night I was out with Heather and it was getting pretty late because we were praying together and our prayer meeting went a little longer than (laughs) what. Anyway, this is what I can remember daddy would always say. My daddy would say, son, I don't mind if you're a little late. But he said, you got to call and let us know because I've got to live with your mama. And he said, if you're supposed to be home at 12 and you're not, she's up every five minutes. And if she's up every five minutes, I'm up every five minutes. So you call. So I remember one night when our prayer meeting went a little long. And I called and I said, dad... I'm leaving now, I'll be home in a little while. And I can remember, he'd probably been up a little while. He said, son, you get home. And when I heard those words, I knew they meant business. I I had to get home. You know, a lot of people have tried to describe home in multiple ways. I mean, there's a poet that says home is a place you can never go back to. And there's a sense in which that is true. Uh, one of my favorite definitions of home comes from a country band, Little Big Town, and here's what they say: They say a front porch, tin roof, and a gravel road. Yeah, that's home to me. Feels like home to me. No matter what image comes to your mind when you hear the word home, we normally get all nostalgic and we go back in our mind's eye to a time when life was simple, when we had no worries. And it was the good old days. Well, I want to speak to you today on that subject, get home. But listen, we're not talking about a time that's behind us. Because you see, for Caleb, home was not behind him. As a matter of fact, Caleb had come out of Egypt. He had grew up in the wilderness. There was nothing that appealed behind him. There was nothing behind him that he could go back to. So for Caleb, home was still in front of him. So when he tells Joshua, his buddy, give me this mountain, give me this hill country, he's talking about this is going to be my home. So when I say today to you get home, I'm not talking so much about a physical place as I am a spiritual place. Because I think every one of us have a home in the kingdom of God. Now make no mistake about it, this life is not our home. We're just I mean this world is not our home, we're just pilgrims. But yet there is a place that is home for you within the kingdom of God. That place is the place that God saved you to occupy. It's not a place that you were just born to be. It's a place you were reborn to be. It's that place where when you get there, it's where you're going to add the most value to the expansion of His kingdom that you could possibly add. It's going to be the place where you bring as much glory to His name as you can possibly bring because that's your home. That's what He saved you for. That's what He equipped you for. That's what He gifted you for. That's where He divinely wants you to be, where you fit like a hand going into a glove. And that's where life is good. Hey, have you ever had the old homesick blues? And here they are. Here they are for believers. Have you ever been in that place where you just say, Man, I know there's got to be more to this Christian life than this. Something's missing. I read the Bible and and what what I read in the Bible somehow or another not transferring to my life. There's got to be more. What's missing? And what's missing just may be that you're not home. So this text helps us get to where God saved us to be. To that place to that position in the promised land of God that He has already deeded to you. He's just waiting for you to move in. So here, let's look at this passage of Scripture and see what it is that the Bible tells us about getting home. Number one, I think this this passage answers the, the, the question of how is home identified? Well, Pastor Richie, all that sounds good. But how do I know where my home is in the kingdom of God? How do I know where my plot of ground is which He's already deeded to me, that He wants me to occupy for His honor and glory and for the expansion of His kingdom here on earth? How do I know what that is? Well, this passage answers that question. I think the first thing the Bible tells us about how home is identified is found in verses 6 and 12. Notice what the Bible says in verse number 6. He says, Uh, You know the word which the Lord spoke to Moses, the man of God concerning you and me in Kadesh Barnea. Now look again in, in, in verse number 12. Perhaps I will drive them out just as the Lord has spoken. Here's how home is identified. It has been previously spoken of by the Lord. Hey, this was not something new to Caleb. God had already spoken to him about it years ago. And you see, that's the way it is with most of us. Sometimes we act like we don't know where our place is. How many times have you heard a believer say, I just don't feel like I fit in? They might as well be saying, I've not got to my destination yet. I've not got to where it is God wants me to be in life and in His kingdom. But hey, listen. It may not be that you don't know. It may may be that you don't want to know because God's already spoken to you about it. More more, more often than not, you already know because He's already spoken to you. Check this out. Two times in this passage, Joshua says, as the Lord had spoken, as the Lord said to so and so, so home has already been identified to you. Normally that takes place very early in our walk of faith. Did you know that? Cliff said it this morning. He said that his daughter sensed the call to the mission field at 12 years old. Did you know a survey of missionaries who are on the field today reveals that most missionaries who are presently serving on a cross-cultural unreached mission field say that they sensed the call to missions before the age of 15. You see, God doesn't waste any time. God's not wanting to hide your home from you because it's to His glory that you get there. So most more times than not, you already know. And you just don't want to get there. So you're acting like you don't know. But God's already spoken about it in most cases. Check out number two. How else is home identified? Well, it's previously spoken of by the Lord. But number two, it cannot be occupied prematurely. Cannot be occupied prematurely. I, how many years did it take Caleb to say, Give me this mountain? Forty-five. He was 40 years old when he went out. He said, Now I'm 85. So it was 45 years. That's right. If I'm doing my math right, don't hold me to it now. I'm, I'm not infallible when it comes to math. Y'all know that. But is that right? All right. Some of you math teachers, keep me, keep me in line. Forty-five years. Now... I'm not willing to say that Caleb had drug around like most Baptists do. Are you following me? Because here's what I find a lot of times as a pastor. And boy, this helped shape my life very early as a pastor. I can't tell you how many times I've been called by family saying, Pastor Richie, would you come down to uh, Baptist Medical Center because Dad's in there. And the doctors are saying that he probably only has another few hours and He's really wanting to speak to you. Will you come down? Well, sure, I'll get down. Hey, I can tell you how it's going to go when I get that call. I'll get in the room and he'll say, Can I speak to, to Pastor Richie by myself? And all the family will go out. And then big alligator tears come, and it's usually like this. When I was 20 years old, God called me to preach. Can you fill in the blank? But I didn't do it. And now here he is, 80-something years old, on his deathbed, regretting life's decisions. And after having that scenario repeat itself in my young pastoral ministry about ten times real quick, you know, I'm not sharp as knife in a drawer, but I said to this, Rich, take note. I might fail at a lot of things I try, but with God's help, I'm not going to end up on a hospital bed confessing to my pastor that God asked me to do something and I didn't do it. I am not going to do it. Brother, I had rather fail, fall on my face, than live with the nagging question of what if. I'm just not going to end up there. And I'm not going to say that that Caleb put it off that long. You know what I'm going to say? Here's what I'm going to say this position that God has for you, you can't occupy it prematurely. But here's what happens there's only one or two scenarios. Number one, you are either being prepared, just stop right there, preparation. So God calls you to be a missionary at the age of 12. Do you become a missionary at age 12? Absolutely not. But what do you do? You begin to prepare. And can I say to you, that's exactly what was going on with Caleb. God said to him, this place right here is yours. But it took 45 years. You know what was going on? God was preparing Caleb for the place. Because He's got to prepare you to occupy that place. Because here's the principle. If you get to a place that's bigger than you are, it'll crush you. So God has to grow us in order to occupy that place. It's okay to know what I'm supposed to be and I'm on the way. That's what seminary is about, Caleb. That's what it's about. I can't tell you the battles we fought in seminary that had nothing to do with the classroom, but God was using that to prepare us for what He ultimately had in our home. God's preparing you for that place. Now stop and think about it. Caleb and Joshua were the two commanders, were they not? This was the last hill to be taken. Caleb had helped everybody else. Every other tribe in Israel was at home Except Caleb. He wasn't at home. You know why? Because he was busy fighting battles, helping everybody else get in their place. So here's what I'm going to say to you. It's not that you need to be prepared for battle, but it's the battle prepares you for your place. It was all that fighting that Caleb did for 45 years as a commander that prepared him to take his home victoriously. So let's look at life this way for a minute. Hey, any of you in the battle right now? Look, the battle rages. It does. There's a constant spiritual battle. You go ahead and name the name of Christ and dedicate your life to doing something for His honor and glory and you watch the battle spring up all around you. So here's what I'm saying to you. You can tell how significant your ultimate station in life is going to be by how many battles you have to fight on the way there. Huh? Because God only gives those premium places in the kingdom to people who are battle-tested. The kingdom does not promote couch potatoes who've never done anything, who've never won a victory. If you're losing the, the battle with that same old sin, watch me. You'll never get home. The battles and victory in every battle prepares you for the next battle, the next battle, and the next battle until you finally get it home. Caleb knew where home was, but isn't it interesting that Caleb didn't, when they, as soon as they crossed the Jordan River, Caleb didn't say, All right, he told me what my home is, boys. Y'all get yours. I know where mine is. I'm going to it. No, sir, he couldn't do that. There was 45 years of preparation. And then one of the things that I see today among young folk who are called to ministry they want that place right now. One of the things I see with kids today is they look and see what mom and dad have and they want what mom and dad have today. They don't know the blood, sweat and tears that mom and dad have put into it. And they end up going bankrupt because they've got so much credit card debt trying to have what mom and dad have already prematurely and it doesn't work that way so you're being prepared and it's not the fact that that you need to be prepared for the battle as much as it is that the battle is preparing you to take your home victoriously check out number next So here's the other option, and this one applies to us more than it does to Caleb. Your home cannot be occupied prematurely. You will either you are either right now being prepared, or you are right now just putting it off. Because you don't want to do it. And you see, that's the guy that ends up with the deathbed confession to his pastor. That's the girl that says, I know that God put in my heart to be a missionary. When I was in preteen Sunday school class. And here I am, I've chased after all of my wants and dreams, and I never did what God wanted me to do. Hence, you never occupied the place that God had sovereignly marked out for you. Your name is on the title deed, but you never lived there. Finally, how is home identified? Previously spoken of by the Lord, most of the time we already know. Number two, it cannot be occupied prematurely. And number three, it's populated with obstacles that seem too large. Check this out. Look what Caleb said in verse 12. Now give me this hill country about which Yahweh spoke on that day. For you heard on that day that the Anakim were there. Does anybody know who the Anakim are? Who was one of their descendants? going to come in the picture a little bit later with King David. Son, they're big dudes. You hear me? They're big dudes. They were the reason those other ten spies came back to Moses and said, Moses, we look like grasshoppers in their sight. There's no way we can do it. They saw the Anakim. And now Joshua, on the other hand, Joshua has been prepared by the battles of life. He is a tough skinned veteran of spiritual warfare. And look what he says. Because your home is going to be just like his. The devil is not going to sit by and let you go into the place that God has sovereignly marked out for you where you can do the greatest damage to the devil's kingdom. He ain't going to sit by and say, Yeah, go on and get in there. You got a free shot. No, sir, he's going to put giants all around your home. Most of the time, it's not physical giants, but it's just mental and symbolic giants. Oh, how much is that going to cost? Well, how long is that going to take? Well, how much education do I have to have? I mean, all the giants that are surrounding your mind that keep you from being where God wants you to be, guess where they are? They're put there for a reason, to keep you from getting to that place that God designed you to occupy. Caleb didn't look at it that way. Caleb said there are giants there. Good. <laughs> Sit back, boys, and watch the show. Oh, there's problems? Oh, problems are nothing more than a platform from which God can display his glory. If there were no problems, you'd never sit slack-jawed and say, My gosh, did you see what God did? Check out number two. We see how home is identified. Number two, we see how home is inherited. How are you going to get it? Well, check out what this scripture underscores for us. I think the first thing the Scripture tells us is that home is is inherited by people of character. Character, character, character. And you see, that's what God is building in us all along. From the time that He spoke to you about what your home is and where your home is, all this time He's building character in you so you can ultimately move in there. Because, like I said earlier, if your ministry is larger than your character then your ministry will ultimately crush you. And that doesn't bring glory and honor to God. Hey, that's what happens when we see men fall. Moral failures. You know what happened? They just got to a place that was bigger than they were and they couldn't handle it. Boom. (coughs) Happened so many times. It'll happen to us if we're not careful. Check out a person of character. Let me do a little bio sketch on... On, uh, on Caleb here. Check back with me in Numbers chapter number 14. Numbers chapter number 14. Just one verse here tells us a whole lot about Caleb's character. Check it out. Numbers chapter 14 and verse number 24. Look what Moses said. But my servant Caleb, let me stop right there. My servant, you're talking about character. Here's the number one character quality for those who are going to inherit their home. Nothing was beneath his dignity. Nothing. You know how I know? Because the Bible says he was a servant. You know what a servant will do? He'll do anything and everything he's asked by his master. Now, if we are servants of the Lord, there should be nothing beneath our dignity. And again... So many folk are wanting to skip over all the little stuff and get immediately to the more glamorous positions, whatever that is in ministry. I had not seen one yet, but some folk think there are some. The more showy spots, you know. And I've got a friend who happens to teach at the Baptist College of Florida. And a lot of times students will come up to him and say, Hey, doctor, I want to do this, I want to do this. And most of the time it's, Pastor a church, teach a Sunday school class, preach a sermon, do go on a mission trip. You know what he says? The first thing I tell him is, all right, there's the, the, the garbage can from the nursery full of dirty diapers. How about you take that out for the first three or four months you're here? And he says this, because if they won't take out a trash can, they ain't going to do anything else. See, that's a servant. And here's the principle if you're too big to do the small things you're too small to do the big things that's the way God builds character builds character if you're too big to do the small things then you're too small to do the big things and you'll never get home so look at the character that God had built into Caleb number one nothing was beneath his dignity number two he was rarely discouraged. You know, discouragement is one of the things that keeps more people from getting home, I think, than anything else. Because they just get discouraged and give up. Now let me tell you how Joshua fought discouragement. All right, so you got Moses and you got his two sidekicks. They are Joshua and Caleb, right? So Moses dies. Now you got two men of equal character who can step in and be the commander-in-chief, right? You got two men, you got one position. Uh Uh-oh, wait a minute. We're setting ourselves ourselves up for a church split right now, aren't we? We got two men, and we've got one position. It's top dog, commander-in-chief. It's the president. You know who got chosen. Who got chosen? Joshua. Joshua. So what did Caleb do when he wasn't chosen to be the leader, to have the top slot? Did he, uh, did he do what most of us would have done? I'm telling most of us would have done. You better believe it. We'd have got mule lip real quick. <laughs> now you should have seen us trying to translate mule lip in Portuguese. <laughs> but they understood it, Dave. <laughs> I said, "Laviosi um Lips of a, of, a, of a borough. They got it. They understood. I said, do y'all have people here now that have those kind of lips? They said, oh, yeah. <laughs> I said, come on. I thought we only had them in the U.S. They said, no, no, no. Now that we understand, we got plenty of folk do just that. <laughs> go ahead and pout. Roll your lips out because it didn't go your way. <laughs> huh? I mean, Caleb could have said, right, what if that's the way y'all going to be? I'm done. Here. He could have moved his membership to the next church in town, right? But he didn't. You know why? Because he's a man of character. And I think he understood that it's not what he wants, it's what God wants. And he probably understood that God hadn't designed him, hadn't built him to do what Joshua was doing, and he was probably like Jerry Newman. Every time we start talking to Jerry Newman about being an elder, you know what Jerry says? He says, man, I'd love to be, please. No, he says, hey, God's made me to be a deacon. Please don't do that to me. That's because he's a man of character and he knows how God's wired him. And I bet you Caleb was the same way. So he was rarely discouraged. Check out number three, people of character. Number one, nothing is beneath his dignity. Number two, he was rarely discouraged. And number three, he ensured the success of his descendants. Check this out in verse... Uh, Let's see, 14.26. I'm sorry, 14.24. But my servant Caleb, because he has had a different spirit. Man, I could stay with that one, but i got to run. I only have so much time, you know. And he has followed me fully. I will bring into the land which he entered, and his descendants shall take possession of it. Now, there's not one thing, not one person in here that doesn't care about their descendants. I mean, every one of us, our desire is for our children to have it better than we do. Isn't that right? Man, I thank God. You know, my daddy, he worked himself into the grave. I think with that philosophy in mind, wanting us to have it better than he did. But here's the key. You can work yourself into the grave and your kids still not have it better than you did. You know what ensured the success of his descendants? It was his faithfulness to Yahweh. His faithfulness to Yahweh. Look what the text says, that verse. Because he has fully followed the Lord God. I'm going to give him this land and his children will possess it. Oh, Caleb got to go in and see it But who really experienced the benefits of living on that parcel of dirt that God had deeded to Caleb? It wasn't Caleb, but it was his kids, his descendants. So listen, Mom and Dad. If you want your kids to have it better than you did, that's a noble desire. But hear me. Earning a lot of money isn't going to do that. Providing the best education isn't necessarily going to do that. Giving them the best clothes to wear and the finest car to drive isn't necessarily going to do that. What's going to do that is your faithfulness to God Almighty. They'll have more spiritual benefits than you. So my question that we're going to pose for grace groups this week is are your descendants going to be in a better position spiritually than you are? If so, why? And if not, why not? And what can we do to turn that around now to make sure that our descendants possess fully what God wants them to have? Got to run. Running out of time here real quick. Let's get back to our passage in Joshua. How is home inherited? It's inherited by people of character. Number next is, inherited by people who are confident. Have you noticed what Caleb said? Look what he said. Now then give me this hill country about which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard that the Anakim were there with great fortified cities. Hey, does this sound like a man who has any doubt in his mind? Son, he's confident not in himself, but he's confident in what God has done in preparing him over the past 45 years. He's confident that what God says in his word, you can just take it to the bank, daddy, because it's as good as gold. And there's a fine line between being confident and being cocky. And Caleb didn't want to come off as being cocky. So look what he says next. He said, perhaps Yahweh will give it to me. That's his way of not being cocky, Jerry. But he knew in his heart, this was a man who was confident. And boy, let me tell you what I love to be around. I love to be around people who have confidence in God. When I'm around confident people, it just gives me more confidence. Confidence inspires confidence. And here old Caleb is. He says, just say the word, give it to me, and I'm going to move in. Notice character number three. Home is inherited by people who are confident. Home is also inherited by people who are courageous. Courageous. Look again, the Anakim were there takes courage to face giants. And who is it that defines courage? Courage is not the absence of fear. I mean, I'm scared to death sometimes. Hey, here's the deal. Every Sunday before I stand up here and preach, how many of you notice that I've got ants in my pants on Sunday morning? I can't sit still. Folks shake my hand sometimes. They say, my Lord, your hand is cold. Why is that? Because I am scared to death. Every Sunday morning I'm scared to death before I stand up here so it's not courage is not the absence of fear but courage is just overcoming that fear in the name of the lord jesus christ for he told paul told timothy for god's not given you a spirit of fear how many times in the bible hey it's the most often quoted commandment in all the bible do not fear fear will lock you in bondage the writer of the Hebrews says that the devil uses it to keep people in bondage. Fear. 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 Fear of what? You fill in the blank. Fear of failure. Fear of not having enough money. Fear of looking like an idiot. Fear of it. Just name it. Fear that I'm going to get my honey stomped. Man, if you're looking for an excuse, there's a lot of things to be afraid of. Hey, that's why I don't go to scary movies. There's too much for me to be afraid of naturally. I don't want to pay somebody to scare me. Huh? I mean, while I'm in Brazil, Heather's sending me pictures. Some of you girls, some of you college girls, took my wife to the peanut festival. Thank you. Because <laughs> I didn't have to. I was in Brazil and I told somebody, thank God I'm not there. She's showing me a, a, a picture of the biggest, tallest thing up there, the wildest ride. And the captain says, we about to ride this. I said, you go right ahead, chick. I ain't going to ride it. Well, hey, look, I'm not paying somebody to scare me. (laughs) Yeah, it's fun, all right. So anyway, thank you, ladies, for taking my wife to the fair. (laughs) Appreciate that. Courage. Look, I'll stare a demon down in a Quilombola village in Brazil. But I'm not getting on the zipper at the peanut festival. You hear me? (laughs) I'm not. (laughs) Got to run. Home is inherited by people who are confident and courageous. And finally, home is inherited. I'm sorry. Somehow or another, I got off. I had a fever when I wrote this. Home is inherited by people who are consistent. Consistent. Have you noticed how many times... From Numbers chapter 14 unto Joshua chapter 14, how many times is this phrase used? Because I followed the Lord my God fully. And then Moses said it about Him in verse 9. Because He followed, because you followed the Lord my God fully. And then in verse number 14, the writer says, because He followed the Lord God of Israel fully. You know what that tells me about Caleb? Doesn't mean he was perfect without flaws, without fault, but it tells me he was consistent. Consistent. The steady pattern of his life was like this. It wasn't like this. It wasn't high one day, low the next. It wasn't spiritually hot this week, spiritually cold for two weeks. It was consistent. And can I say, I think this is one of the number one reasons why so many believers today never get home. Until you defeat this giant of inconsistency in your life and you say, come hell or high water, I'm going to be consistent in my walk of faith, you'll never get home. Just won't. Consistence. Man, may it be said of us like it said of Caleb. May one day when a preacher's standing over my body in a pine box, the old boy wasn't perfect. But he tried to follow God with every ounce of energy he could muster. That's all I care. On my gravestone. Other than what was it? Somebody said the other day. Oh Heather says, I told you I was sick. (laughs) Something, I don't know, but I I want on mine he fully followed the Lord, if anybody cares to lie about me. Oh, yeah. yeah, that's right, that's what it was. He told me not to do it, but I did it anyway. How home is identified. How home is inherited. And finally, why is getting home even important to us? Why should we be saying to the Lord, God, give me that mountain that you spoke about 45 years ago. Now's the time I've been prepared. Let me move in and take possession of it. Why is it important? Two reasons. Number one, because of the presence of the Lord. Here's here's what's cool. You see that word Hebron, which is the name of the place? The root word for Hebron in Hebrew, here's what it means. It means fellowship. Fellowship. Fellowship with who? I think it means fellowship with the Lord, does it not? And here's the spiritual principle. There's no place on this planet that you will experience His presence to a higher degree than when you get to where you're supposed to be. And you'll experience His presence like you have never experienced it before. Let me tell you why Vivian and Patrick won't come home from Malaysia even though it's hard as hell. Because the Spirit of God is there. And wherever the Spirit of God is for them, that's where they're going to be. David Platt said not too long ago, he said, For the true believer, the true believer would gladly go to hell if Christ was there. Because being in His presence is what salvation is about. Is it not? I mean, that's what this saying is about. That's what the cross is about. It's about getting man and God back together. And isn't 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 it unique that Jesus gives us His presence? He says, Go into all the world and preach the gospel baptizing, make disciples baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them to obey whatsoever things I have commanded you and then he says it, and what? and I'm with you always man there's just something about it when you get to your home the presence of the Lord is so thick there it doesn't matter what you're going through you wouldn't go anywhere because that's where he is finally and we're going to shut her down here why is home important because that's where you are uniquely going to experience the presence of god to a greater degree than anywhere else on this planet so what we have to ask ourselves is how important is his presence to me oh but richie he's omniscient he's with me everywhere i understand that theologically But yet the theologians talk about this. They talk about his omnipresence and they talk about his concentrated felt presence. Do any of you... I don't even like to use that word felt, but you know what I mean. Do you sense his presence at Grace Church? Then this is where you're supposed to be. If you don't, this is probably not where you're supposed to be. But maybe through Grace Church, he's still going to get you to that unique place where you experience His presence to a degree that you can't anywhere else this side of glory. Check out number next. Why is home important? Because of the presence of the Lord. Number two, because of peace in the land. Look at verse number 15. Now the name of Hebron was formerly Kerioth Arba. Isn't it interesting? They named it Hebron. Probably because Joshua said, man, God's here. (laughs) Now, here we go. The greatest man, because Arba was the greatest man among the giants, by the way, which Caleb waxed. And then look what the Bible says. I like this epithet because here's the epithet. Then the land had rest from war. You know why it's so important for you to get home? Number one, because the presence of the Lord's there. Number two, because maybe peace in the land is based on your getting home. You know, here, here's what I notice a lot of times in, in, in churches. You know, Heather and I preach a good many conferences and revivals. And when I go and preach a conference or revival somewhere, I, I'm not looking for the entire church to repent and sit in sackcloth and ashes. I'm not looking for multitudes of people to respond. You know who I'm looking for? I'm looking for that one person. Because normally all it takes is one person. And when one person gets to where they're supposed to be, God just showers peace across that whole fellowship. Don't think that you getting home doesn't affect anybody else. When Caleb got home, the Bible says the land. You know what that means? That means from all the way up north to all the way down south, to all the way to the Mediterranean Sea, to all the way to the other side of the Jordan River, there was peace in the land because one man got home. Hey, wouldn't it be cool if the battle would quit raging. Worry would quit attacking our minds. Stress would stop deteriorating our bodies. Spiritual warfare would take a hiatus. And all of that could happen when one person gets home. Get home. Would you stand with me, please? Father in heaven, thank you for your word. We don't understand how a text that was written 3,000 plus years ago can speak to us as currently as if it were written for Grace Church yesterday. God, that just testifies to the fact that your word is eternal. It's inspired. It's infallible. It's authoritative. It builds us up. It gives us an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. It gives us life because man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So, Lord, my prayer today is that your word has come to life in somebody's heart. And today somebody's coming home. It may be today that there's somebody here who's never been born again and they need to place their faith in you and move into the environment of the cross for good. It could be that they've just been inconsistent and need to settle that issue. It could be they've just been putting it off but they know what you've said to them, where they need to be and today they've settled that issue. God, whatever it said, you've said today, bring peace in the land because your people are moving in. Dr. John Wilson is up here.